Next on Lectures in History. When Mexico gained its independence from Spain in 1821, the new country's northernmost holding was the sparsely populated territory of California. Rick Kennedy of Point Loma Nazarene University teaches a class about Mexico's governance and plans for California in the decades leading up to the 1848 Mexican-American War in which Mexico lost California to the United States. Okay, scholars, huh? Scholars? This is, uh, this is what we're going to do today is, um, is a, a class called High Hopes of uh, Mexican California. And uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is an important thing. It's, first of all, for those of us who live in California, especially those on coastal California, we are, uh, this is our heritage. You know, this is who we are is in part Mexican. And a lot of our class today is about how the blendings that go on that create us and stuff like that. And, and there's a Mexican period to California history, which is really interesting. And we're going to we're going to deal with sort of the big picture and then also look at some uh, individual stories and some individual things to think about, all right? But hopefully uh, you'll have some ideas to talk about, any issues you want to talk about. But then also, um, uh, you know, if you, you know, the, one of the great things about history is we talk about the big ideas, but we also get down to particulars. And part of the class is just a I hope you spend the rest of your life driving up Highway 101 or driving up Highway 5 or driving around Los Angeles. You'll see street names, you'll see places, you'll see things that just remind you of how California history, first of all, but especially how Mexican we are, how Mexican California. All right, that's, that's the goal today is Mexican California. Now, uh, as we've talked about before, let me get this back to the right place here. We need to start at the beginning. There we are, Mexican California. Now, so uh, 1824 to 1846, why 1824? Anyone? Should I call on Steve? <laughs> no, remember, what's, it's the Constitution of 1824, right? They, uh, there's a sort of soft start to, uh, to this whole thing of Mexican California because what happens is that you've got a... Uh, uh, a rebellion against the Spanish monarchy that starts in 1810, and then it, that falters, and then there's another one that starts up. 1821 is the independence of Mexico, and then there's a period of like struggling to figure out what kind of government they're going to have. And finally, in 1824, things settle in, and this is the sort of what we want to hold on to is the 1824 Constitution, and that's the one that sets us up as the United States of Mexico. Right? And as, uh, okay, you want to do this again? <laughs> Which is, uh, we're a, a republic. Okay, and what's a republic? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's basically a mixed government in which the people have a role in it of some form. And their voice that is, can be heard, there's a consent of the governed. Federalist? multi-layered and so we're not a state we're a Republic. we're a territory of Mexico and so so much like uh, you know the uh, United States of America had a system in which territories can become states Mexico has a system in which territories can become states a big issue is population we don't have that level of population so we're a territory territory means that do we get to elect our governor or not elect our governor? We don't elect our governor. And so the governor is sent to us, but we have a local legislature called the Deputacion. Okay? And uh, so this is, this is where we are. And we, so again, 1824, 1846 is when the United States of America comes in to start to take us over. And uh, so we basically have a, what, a 22-year period here that we're, we won't, we're sort of focusing on, all right? It's not a huge, long period, but it's a very important time in the United, history of the United States of America. It's also a very important time in the history of the United States of Mexico. And, um, and they're both sort of flourishing and developing here in North America. And so that's what I want to talk about. What's the Canadians? <sighs> Canadians, we don't care about Canadians. They're, you know... They're, uh, they're, they're a monarchist or something up there. But, but there's really interesting things going on down here. 
I shouldn't say that. Does Canada watch C-SPAN? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I need to erase that, right? Okay, now, uh, Canada, oh, let's not get into Canadian history, but, but in North America, you have these two, uh, and we often forget this. This is the thing. We often forget that there are two dynamic new nations rising up on similar values, right? And uh, the similar values are, first of all, Republican Federalists, Politically egalitarian is a goal, very much a goal. United States of Mexico has abolition of slavery. Okay, we'll talk a little bit more about that. United States of America has slavery. It's written into the Constitution, you know, three-fifths clause and stuff like that. But, on the other hand, the United States of America has complete religious toleration, you know, Whereas uh, there's religious toleration in Mexico also. You can be a Protestant, you can be a Jew, you can celebrate here. But, but on the other hand, is, um, if you want to own land, you want to get married, you want to have it officially partake in the, in the government, you need to be Roman Catholic. Okay? So, but, but each is an experiment. Each is a sort of different kind of experiment, but a lot of similarities. And in California, our big issues are instabilities that we're trying to deal with most important is Indian health. Death from disease, death from, pro you know, a lot of problems with Indians, and health in the broadest sense, the commonwealth, the building of a state, making their life flourish. How can we help the Indians becomes a big issue for the Mexicans. And that's what we're talking about. That's what you read some material about. Colonization is bringing people in from Mexico, but also immigration from a number of different places, and we get a lot of immigration and how to handle it. You know, colonization is a, do we go too, do we go fast, do we go slow, how do we make it orderly, uh, because it can get disorderly real fast. And then you see distribution of mission lands becomes key to both of these issues. Because the missions are, are technically uh, these sort of foster parent institutions which have legal control over land that's not actually theirs. It's never been theirs. It's always been Indian land but now it's to be distributed. And when they distribute it, they've got to distribute it to folks who are coming in, to people who are already here, and then especially, how, you know, what are we going to do? Give, how are we going to give it back to the Indians? That becomes a big issue for Mexico. This is very different than the United States of America, because the United States of America has uh, decreed from very early on that federal land it's not given out like normal, belongs to the federal government, okay, the, the nation. It doesn't belong to the Indians. Whereas in uh, Mexico and in Spanish law, it did belong to the Indians. It just, we got to figure out how to get it back to them, right? Because we have some processes going on. And education uh, is a big issue. If you're going to run a republic, you got to have education. And then... Uh, We'll talk just a tiny bit about this, but this gets at that lone woman, uh, the island of the blue dolphin story, and some other things. Fast-changing Pacific world, international issues, ecological issues, all sorts of, uh, you know, that opium war in China thing that's going on that we talked about last time. So there's, there's um, a lot of stuff going on in the Pacific. And so these are instabilities, and in the midst of these instabilities, the United States of Mexico is kind of charting its way through this. And, and we're a territory of the United States of Mexico, a sort of far north that is lagging in some ways, but uh, we'll talk about it. We, we, have, an we have opportunities that, uh, that maybe they don't have in Mexico City and stuff like that, simply because we are a, a sort of wide open frontier where a few Few people can have a massive amount of influence. All right? All right? Okay, good. Now, uh, so we've talked about this a number of times here. This is the way our class is structured, is that we have these layers of history. All of them develop this place. And that we live in places where our roads, often our old Indian trails, or the names of streets, are both Spanish and Mexican, the names of cities, uh, that we live in an entangled entangled world of multiple layers here with the Spanish Empire, the United States of Mexico, the United States of America, and then of course these 
this Indian population that was so vital and, and interesting and stable and in many ways, uh, uh, um, what would you say, happy for thousands of years, they get destabilized by all this. But the goal is always to, to bring them through this. And uh, we're going to get, so throughout all of this, we're following how the Indians get dealt with, the Indian peoples get dealt with, because that's going to help us understand the aspirations, the highest aspirations of these governments. All right? So, anyone from up here? Who's, who, who, we have someone from, where are you from? Pleasanton. Yeah, which is over here, right? Is it like a, is there right in between there, Pleasanton, and, and Phoebe Hurst had a big, uh, big house in Pleasanton. Yeah, yeah. And so this whole region is, you know, if you think about it, there's there's missions. You know, we talked about the missions are the central, most dynamic institution to come out of the Spanish period into the Mexican period, but they're being shut down and redistributed and. All that's being happened, there's missions in Carmel, missions in Soledad, missions in uh, San Juan Batista, Santa Cruz has a mission, Santa Clara mission is here, San Francisco mission is here. There's two brand new Mexicans, but two brand new missions up there. So Mexicans don't just shut down missions, they actually create missions up here, but then those missions are to go through the process of secularization like we were talking about too. So you have a number of missions, and then our other institution here is the Pueblo. And what's the one Pueblo in this map? San Jose. San Jose is here. And San Jose, what's the other Pueblo? Los Angeles. And then the third Pueblo that the Spanish leave right at the end is? Santa Cruz, right there. So Santa Cruz, San Jose, two of, the, two of these uh, Pueblos. And what our class is about is the more, we want more Pueblos. We want to expand the number. That's the biggest issue of, of creating a better United States of Mexico is to let's, let's expand the number of Pueblos and figure out how this can work. Ranchos. Lots of ranchos uh, begin to be set up throughout this period. And yeah, rancho this, rancho that, everywhere. Um, and we'll talk about the... The sad story of what is the, the biggest rancho of Northern California, which is Vallejo's rancho up here in Petaluma. And, and uh, he could have done more. And if he had done more, we would like him better. But all right, we'll have to deal with him. But the ranchos, pueblos, presidios, missions, these are primary institutions that develop what is now the, largely the coast of California. When you get into the Central Valley, the names change, they become more Anglophone, you know, less Spanish names, uh, the, uh, lots of Indian life and stuff. Yosemite, of course, is an Indian name and things like that. But the, um, um, most of what we're talking about today for Mexican development of California is coastal. And it's primarily up to what is uh, Santa Rosa up there. Because who's above Santa Rosa? Russians. Right. Arr, arr, love the Russians. All right. Remember what, uh, what Dana said about the Russians? They love Greece. <laughs> that's, Dana likes to be funny every once in a while. And so that, I think that's supposed to, to be just a funny part. But he does really sort of make fun of Russians. All right. Uh, this weekend, uh, I was at a conference over here at uh, here at San Diego. It's our 250th anniversary, San Diego. Remember, what's our date of founding? 1769. And so now it's 2019. And so therefore, we are 250 years in San Diego. And so there's a conference. Uh, and all of these people here, you can tell, are very exciting people. They are historians of some such. And uh, they're museum directors. And we had a good group. And... We were meeting over, this is the inside of Mission uh, San Diego. This is Irish, Iris Ingstrom. She is the uh, professor of, of Spanish and uh, California history up at USD, the Catholic 
university, and she is really smart. She's written a bunch of books, and she's, she's like the queen of history in San Diego, and so we all do honor to Iris. She's great. And, um, <laughs> what? But she, uh, she's, she's actually got her hand, she's having a religious experience here. Um, <laughs> but she, uh, she sort of was at the center of this, this event, of course, and then a lot of other people, and it was really good. The whole event that I was at, and I was really sort of fit with this lecture, because I was thinking about this lecture given this, is that it was about the blending. It was about how these different peoples, different histories, we blend together up, to the, up through the Mexican period. Uh, this man was at the meeting. This is a... This guy here is uh, Felix Cota, Ignacio Felix Cota. This is Iris Ingstrom here. And this is, they're putting a plaque up just recently on uh, the, um, the Junipero Serra Museum, which is on that hill you see as you go up Mission Valley. And they're putting a plaque, and the plaque is dedicated to the soldiers, the leather jacket soldiers that came up with the Spanish and settled in here and became the, the really a foundation of our Mexican culture here is the soldiers. And we often don't talk about them. We talk about Portola, talk about Sarah. And, and so they actually name. See how you have all the names? So his, these two guys there, great, 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 great somethings, were um, leather jacket soldiers. And of course, they, these guys live here. They've lived here for 250 years, their families. And so they're highly blended into, you know, soldiers married Indians. They brought Indians up with them from Baja, California. There's just a blending and blending and blending of marriages over 250 years. And so these guys, you know, have their, they're indigenous. They're, these are indigenous people. They've been here all this time, you know. And, uh, you know, we think of California being a place people sort of like it was open and come here. No, no. You know, Indians were here for thousands of years. These guys have been here for 250 years. And so we're honoring them. And uh, <laughs> many of the soldiers did a lot of good. Uh, we can go through, then there's names like Ortega and uh, different ones that are just, we look back to them and we go, Those are, these were really upstanding good soldiers who came to California on expeditions, married here, settled down here, lived here. And uh, like, remember I told you, Santa Cruz had a lot of ex-soldiers that sort of retirement home. Some of the soldiers got land grants to put on ranchos. So a lot of our history is sort of rooted in those soldiers. And we want to do honor to them. Also at the meeting, were, uh, there are two Hashiman. That's uh, pronounced Hashiman. And they're frustrated. These, both of these guys are very interesting. I sat next to one for dinner, and we had a lot of fun, fun talking. And, uh, both of them are willing to be called Mexican because they, they of course, have um, lineage. and They've been here thousands of years, but they've married into all the different cultures that have come through California. But they're Hashiman people. And uh, Hashiman, this is uh, San Juan Capistrano, so this is Dana Point here. Here's San Diego. Here's Long Beach. And uh, the Juaneños are a little frustrated because they don't have a reservation in the way that the reservations we have along the San Luis Rey River. And so there's a sort of like frustration why these people get treated this way, why these people get treated this way. And uh, uh, if you go to Mission San Juan Capistrano, you know, you'll, you can learn more about the Juaneño Indians. But, but the thing is, is that uh, uh, it was really nice. We had these two guys there. We had these soldier, uh, soldier families. We had these Indian people's families. We had a uh, bunch of guys like me who are first generation here. I was born in Kansas and dragged here by my mom. And uh, so the thing is, is uh, uh, this is what California is, all these peoples. But there's a lot of people who go by the name Mexican who are actually just, yeah, they're deeply part of this place. And Mexico itself is an amalgamation and blending of lots of peoples, Indian peoples and, and European peoples. And Dana talks about like Spanish blood being tied to like uh, the lightness of the skin, you know, and then there's darker ranges of darker skin. Uh, Dana talks about that, and there's certain things you could uh, possibly do with that, but it's, um, in general, it's better to think of us all sort of like blending. And that's the way I think uh, this conference was really emphasizing. This woman here, 
she, uh, she wrote this book, and she was at the meeting. Her name is Catherine Curlin. Uh, her grandparents, I think it was, or great-grandparents built this building here. And you see Los Angeles in the background. And the fun of this is, is that apparently now uh, the people who live in this building is full of mariachi band members. So they call it the Hotel Mariachi. But it's sort of fun. But the thing was is that she then gave her history, which is in the front of this book, which is um, she can trace her family back to the original settlers of Los Angeles. And the original settlers of Los Angeles are a mixed bunch of folk. And so she has as her, you know, all the way back parents, one of them, her, the male, is listed as, as Negro. So probably African blood or at some level some da very dark-skinned Indian blood or something. And then, of course, on, on the other side was more uh, just the normal blending of Mexican. And then so she's got 250 years of history. Actually not, because we're older. San Diego's older than L.A. and better than L.A. But the... Uh, but so she has, um, she can trace her lineage all the way back. So here's a woman who lives in Los Angeles. Her family goes all the way back to the very beginnings of Los Angeles. And in her is all of this mixture of Mexican, everything like that. And what's her name? Curlin, you know. So you wouldn't think of her as Mexican, but she's very much Mexican. Any questions about that? You know? It's a way of thinking. I don't know, you know, we could do, I'm sure in sociology or genetics or whatever, they have lots of different ways you can think about this. But in our class, I guess today I'm sort of pushing the sort of Mexican notion of squishiness. It's a technical term. Um, which is that, is that, we, it, this, uh, that we all are blended in so many ways, especially folks who've been in California for, for uh, any length of time. And uh, so today it's going to be about how Mexico is a political entity developed that the people here, we are very much Mexican-Americans. And so here's a, here's a, this is Point Loma. Here's where we are right now, sitting there. Here's the Tijuana Estuary. So this is Mexico. And then here's the Otay River, the Sweetwater River, and the San Diego River. And this was all developed by Mexico uh, politically. And then at the same time, the Mexicans developed a name that goes way back, which I really like, is, is uh, Los Hijos del Pay. How do you say that? País. Los Hijos. Say it again. Hijos. Hijos del País. See, I, don't, I need to learn Spanish. Uh, but so you have, uh, um, and what's it mean? Children of the country, children of the land, children who sort of, the land creates the people, which is a great idea that, the, that, the, that we who live here were sort of created by the geography. One of the oldest ideas in the, in the discipline of history goes back to Herodotus, who's the father of history. And um, we read some of you in World Civ, and they, uh, but Herodotus says that the Egyptians, you know, that Egypt is the what? The gift of the Nile. That somehow the Nile creates the land, the people, and everything in Egypt, that great culture. And the, uh, the Greeks, the Greeks, he says, are, are, uh, are sort of affected by their rocky soil. And, and so people are not just genetic ent ent entities. We're also environmental entities. We're nature and nurture. And so some of you folks can trace yourselves back into... San Diego and Mexican culture much more deeply than I can. And, uh, but I can do it some ways because I live in Point Loma. And I'm, I feel, I've been a coastal Californian all my life, and, and I feel that uh, I'm a child of the land, too. Viva la Republic. <laughs> right? Is this a, is it? All right. All right. So we're th that, that's the big idea, all right? Just the big idea of the class is to sort of, uh, as you guys, many of you are going to be teachers, m most of you become parents or something like that, is, uh, uh, you know, we live now in a world where we're building a wall here, right? And we just got to think about that, you know? And, 
and uh, I don't get about the wall, but the thing is, is that we, we're a culture that's one. I like this picture because it's a, it's a culture that's one, and it should be thought of as one. Certainly, San Diego is one large metropolitan area with Tijuana, and uh, the whole coast of California is very, very much developed by Mexico. Okay, we're Mexicans in our heritage, in our politics, and the roads we drive, the streets we live on, stuff like that. Okay, all right, there's my little intro. Let's, uh, real quick here, uh, we'll, we'll speed this up. But the thing is, is um, Figueroa is our main guy today. There's going to be three people that are three males, but then their families and stuff that all get tied into this. But Figueroa is, is the key to our class today. And you read about him, what is he? He's governor. He is a governor here from 1833 to 1835. And we like that guy. Uh, this is the Figueroa Hotel in Los Angeles. You know, Figueroa Hotel, Figueroa Street. Almost every coastal town in California has a Figueroa Street. Also, um, one of the things that as a republic, Figueroa uh, apparently understands this quite well. But uh, you know, we don't know how to, uh, to dig into this further because it's embedded into the culture of republican systems in Republican education, but it goes back to Aristotle's politics, okay? And in Aristotle's politics, the notion of a person, so humans are what kind of animals? Political animals. Humans are political animals. And then every polis, which in Spanish would be a pueblo, every pueblo is a fellowship, is a fellowship intended for the good. This is, a, this is the Aristotle. This is his the first. This is the first sentence in Aristotle's Politics: is that everybody's supposed to live as as political animals, and cities are supposed to serve ultimately toward or intending toward the good. Uh, and then later on, it says, "Indeed, the telos, the end, the purpose of a pueblo, is the good life, a full and independent life, which, in our view, constitutes a happy and noble life." And so, this is Aristotelian republicanism, is that it's supposed to be about the good. It's not about getting rich. Aristotle makes that very clear. It's not about keeping you safe. It's about creating something good. And so, one of the things that comes down through, the, and Aristotle was deeply in the scholasticism of the Middle Ages, all the scholars in, in the Spanish scholars and Mexican scholars read them, is this deep political world in which a pueblo is the highest kind of life. That's the way we're supposed to live, is in towns. It's what makes us, what makes us good. Uh, missions are temporary. They're supposed to help people get started, sort of jump start, but then this is the term, actually, of what we call civilization. Many people, you know, say it's a civil, you know, to civil... Civil, I really messed that up, didn't I? Civilization, okay. Uh, to civilize is not to do anything evil to anybody. It's to make them live in a town. It's to, get, it's to encourage town life, it's to civilize, okay? And then this is the term civics, you know, which is the same word as politics. So, so what you have is a is uh, when we talk about civilizing the Indians or civilizing the uh, California, what we're talking about is Puebloizing it, you know, making it full of these Pueblos. And because Pueblos are where people live the best. This is in Santa Barbara. And uh, who's this? That's Plato. Plato's a utopian, you know. Aristotle, uh, you know, usually... Has it like this, but here he's holding the laws. He's he's the much more practical thinker, and uh, he is the one who proposes the, you know, the uh, this that the pueblo is the is the highest type of life. Missions are temporary. Presidios, which are the other form of institution we have here, are geopolitical. They're chess pieces on maps. They're they're uh, necessary. They can't really protect us in California, but they but they they serve a purpose. But they're, they're not part of the making of America, uh, California better. Presidios are just sort of 
presidios. Missions are temporary. They're supposed to go away, and then the missions would then leave behind them the church, because the church is supposed to be in the pueblo. And then ranchos are always problematic. And why? They don't necessarily oppress Indians. The lack of accountability. That's exactly, in a Pueblo life, you have accountability. In a rancho, you're like out there and you have all this power to do what you want. So rancho life is, is, uh, is not desired, but we're going to build a lot of ranchos in California. But we want Pueblos. And that's what the Mexican ideal of a Mexican republic is going to do, is Figueroa and these other guys that we're going to talk about, the Delaguerra family, uh, William Hartnell, these people are going to try and encourage the Pueblo life. Okay? But when you go to Santa Barbara, this is the fun of this class. If you just walk around, like I'm sure if you walk around downtown San Diego, you'll find a picture or a painting or a, uh, some sort of probably in the courthouse or something, some picture of Plato and Aristotle like this, you know? Because these are the, this is the world we live in. We live in a world in which Plato and Aristotle, these guys who thought long ago, they affect how we think today. That's why history is so important. We, we live embedded in the ancient ideas of these people. And so these are coming to California in two different forms because the United States of America, especially in New England, believes very much in this town life. Town life yields the good life. And in the Spanish Empire, and especially in the Mexican Republic, town life yields the good life. And so town life is one of the similarities between the United States of America and the United States of Mexico. And they both want to enhance it. And that's what you mean. That's what we mean by talking about civilizing people. Making them live in towns. All right. Uh, one last thing here for the deep background of, of uh, the republics. Deep background to Figueroa and his thought is uh, this guy Solon. Solon's another Greek thinker, lived about 600 years BC or something like that. Um, this is a uh, bas relief that's in the United States Capitol. Our House of Representative members look up on Solon. And then, of course, this is the Sacramento Solon. Sadly, we no longer have this team. Point Loma should be called the Solon. We should get a new mascot. Who's Solon? You guys who took my world sim or ancient Briley? You want to dump it? Yeah, Briley, go for it. Solon. Solon has his first reform. Yeah, put the mic over there on Briley. Come on. First reform. Go for it. His first reform? First, now we, we were reading Plutarch, and Plutarch says his first reform was to make slave. What did it, what's he do with slavery? Emancipate slavery? He gets, he, slavery is illegal. In, you know, it's illegal for the citizens. You cannot become a slave in Athens. He, he creates a bankruptcy law. And then the second thing is how he's, a person asks him, how, well, how do you know, what is, the, what is a good government? How do you know you've got a good government? When the wealthy take care of the poor, the strong take care of the weak. Yeah, yeah. When the wealthy take care of the poor and the strong take care of the, the weak. Very good, Briley. But that's, you see, that, that's, the deepest powerful ideas of, of politics is, is that politics is supposed to create goodness. Uh, it's not create safety. It's not to create money. It's to create goodness. And, and then this goodness is how do you judge that goodness, whether it's good or not, is does it take care of the weakest members of society? Does it take care of the poor? And so who are the weakest and poorest members of Society in this situation in California, it's the Indians. And so, so we need to keep track of how the Indians are being treated. And then also, this is a very key to idea to the Mexican Republic, is no slavery, abolition of slavery. America, the United States of America, has slavery. Okay? So in that way, you know, they're putting this up in the House of Representatives, but they're not really standing by Solon's ideas of, of not allowing slavery. Okay? So... So slavery, Indians. So let's talk about Figueroa. Oh, actually, not yet. <laughs> well, let's finish up with Dana here. A couple of quick things with Dana is uh, we we talked about this last time, but these are the hide houses here at Point Loma, and then our college is right up there. There's a, see, we're right up here, and then Dana Dana was spent six months of his two years on the 
two years, you know, two years before the mass, six months of it is living along this coast right in here. And it's in there that he, uh, remember, he meets up with a bunch of other people. And this is a picture of, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, how Dana sees sort of, Dana ha has two pictures of California in his book that are really pleasant in sort of, you know, great ways. And uh, the first one was this idea of a multinational sort of friendship among workers that happens on Point Loma in the 1820s and 30s. Olivia, read it there. And we passed the time in going about from one house to another and listening to all manner of languages. The Spanish was the common ground upon which we all met, for every one knew more or less of that. We had now, out of 40 or 50 representatives from, every, from almost every nation under the sun, two Englishmen, three Yankees, two Scottishmen, two Welshmen, one Irishman, three Frenchmen, two of whom were Nor Normans, and third was from Gascony. One Dutchman, one Austrian, two or three Spaniards from Old Spain, half a dozen Spanish Americans and half breeds, two native Indians from Chile and the island of Chileo, and one Negro, one Mulato, about 20 Italians from all parts of Italy, as many more Sandwich Islanders, one Tahitian, Tahitian and one from Kanaka from Kanaka. the Marquesas. And who are the Sandwich Islands? Hawaiians, okay. So this is all, and what, what, is the, what is the thing that brings them together? Spanish language was their common ground, you know? And so here on Point Loma, for about 20 years, maybe more, is this multinational, fun bunch of workers who are hanging out. And uh, they are, and you, we talked about the big, all the Hawaiian emphasis, uh, you know, how much Dana loves the Hawaiians and stuff. Gathering around essentially... Um, a type of uh, Mexican world that's been created for them because the Mexicans have set this aside and this is Mexican San Diego in which they're allowed to then keep on doing this. So, um, read this. The night before the vessels. The night before the vessels were ready to sail, all the Europeans united and had an entertainment at the Rosa's Hyde House. And we had songs of every nation and tongue. A German gave us Ach, Mein lieber Augustine. <laughs> the three Frenchmen roared through the Marseille hymn. The English and Scotchmen gave us Rule Britannia and Walby King but Charlie. The Italians and Spaniards screamed through some national affairs for which I was none the wiser. And we three Yankees made an attempt at yeah, the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, and so what you have is this this is, this is Point Loma in 1836, 1835. And, uh, and what you have here is a type of, uh, who's president in 1835-36, you remember? Who's president of the United States of America? Starts with a J. Jackson. We have Jacksonian democracy, the, the ideals of the common man. And so Dana is actually presenting sort of like, where is Jacksonian democracy really happening in a way cool way? It's right here on Point Loma in Mexican California, you know? Uh, we noticed that we saw where Dana, Dana does a lot of things, and sometimes he seems like he's criticizing, sometimes he's acting like he knows what he's talking about. He doesn't really, you don't read Dana for history in the sense of the big picture, but you do read Dana for these, these, these moments in which Dana is on shore, and he comes with a United States of America Jacksonian perspective, and he sees it alive here in Point Loma. And here again, I'm bringing this up because this is the blending of Mexican California. Mexican California is not simply some sort of Spanish legacy you know, uh, migration. It's, there's a whole blending of lots of people coming here. And um, the next moment in Dana where you see this great blending is, this is Santa Barbara. What happens in Santa Barbara? The wedding. Yeah, yeah, the great wedding. And it's the wedding between Anita Delaguerra and we're going to talk about the Delaguerra family and her very good-looking husband, Alfred Robinson. And uh, Robinson's much older. And Nita's like a teenager at the time. And uh, so here's the, the harbor. Here's the, the mission is out here. And then 
uh, the house, the Delaguerra house is here. And so you get this great picture of them all coming together for a wedding. And weddings are, weddings are huge in uh, the politics of Western civilization, you know. This is, this is the, the culture in which, um, in which uh, the household is the foundation of the state. It, it, the household is entangled in the state. The state is, um, in Aristotle, is this thing that you have checks and balances and all this other sort of stuff, but it's rooted in household. It's households that hold onto private property. It's households that take care of the poor and stuff like that. And so, so what you have is the Delegare House in Santa Barbara and then this wedding. And it's one of the grandest, you know, multi-pages there in Dana. Do you remember what happens when, they, when the women all stand at the front door and then they go in? What are they wearing when they go, when they're stand? What are they wearing with the women? All the bride and the bridesmaids. Black. And they enter the door, take confession, do a And then they come out wearing what? White. So you have to have two wedding dresses. It's cool. You go in wearing black, come out wearing white. And then they're all on this porch here, and then the captain gave a signal to the boat down in the water where Dana's at, and what happens? What do, they, what do they start doing? They start shooting off all their cannons, and they get this cannons going, they run flags out. This is, you know, you got to do this for your wedding, you know? It, uh, you know, I got a little boat. You can put it. You know. but, the, uh, um, but the thing is, is, is uh, it's a community event. It's not just a community event for Santa Barbara. It's a community event for all of Mexican California. And so folks have come all over uh, from north and south, and they're there for three days for a, one long fiesta. And there's musicians. The musicians are most likely, most of them, Indians, because it's in the missions that they had been given their in musical instruments and taught to the musical. So the, most of the bands in California early on are, are left over from the missions. And then you have the uh, uh, culture of uh, the rich people, you know, he says are all up in the house, and that he's just a sailor, and so he's watching people run around. And then uh, this idea of a, just a grand community event celebrating a marriage is sort of like the, you know, in the book of Revelation. It all ends with a great marriage ceremony, you know. And this idea of uh, uh, that politics is, is fully embodied in a great wedding. You know, so you can still get married there. This is the Delaguerra House. This is the Delaguerra House today. And this is the Delaguerra Plaza in which they still gather to celebrate all sorts of things. And here's, here's Martin Luther King Day, which is, uh, here again, uh, this is 1835-1836. I think the wedding was actually right at the beginning of 1836. Uh, Figueroa had just died and been buried in Santa Barbara in, into 35. And, uh, and what you have is a, a moment in time depicted in that great classic book, of Mexican California really at its best. So you have this sort of Jacksonian worker paradise on Point Loma in San Diego, and then that wedding in Santa Barbara. And the wedding in Santa Barbara indicates just really the, the highest hopes of Mexican California, you know, what this class is about. Did you like the wedding scene when you read it? It's a great wedding scene. You want to get married in Santa Barbara? I fell in love in Santa Barbara. <sighs> Don't we won't go into that. All right. What? Well, actually, Santa Cruz. But Santa Barbara was where we, we were. We were married. We were married when we were living in Santa Barbara. We were both at uh, UCSB there for uh, we were seniors in college and got married. All right. So um, this is. I keep forgetting there's cameras here. You I want to talk about my wedding here. All right, um, but the uh, all right. So so here, let's let's gather back around. We're going to start talking about Figueroa and uh, several things about Indian policy, especially his policy toward uh, Indian pueblos. All right, uh, Figueroa uh, comes to California in 1833, and this is the first book published in California. Uh, this guy. Uh, 
Zimmerano was a military officer who had bought a press, and then uh, uh, Figueroa uses him to then write this book. And the book is an awkward book. It, it's mostly about this colonization effort and uh, that he is mad at. And uh, the, it's a colonization effort gone wrong. There's been a lot of confusion tied to it. You don't need to know the ins and outs of it. But the basic idea was is that the Russians were along the coast here. Figueroa was quite willing to develop relations with the Russians. But at the same time, he wanted to create uh, people to start living up here, what is now Santa Rosa, Petaluma, Sonoma, all of it. The Russian River comes down and out. Bodega Bay is here. Fort Ross is up here. There's a picture of the chapel at Fort Ross. And so he sent Vallejo to build, you know, to Petaluma. Vallejo builds this big old house there, 1834. See, 33, 34, 35, 36. These are the, these are the years we're talking about. And Vallejo was supposed to help with the redistribution of these this lands that the Mexican mission had there. And uh, he faltered. He didn't, he didn't do his job. He basically was mostly interested in grabbing land for himself. And uh, in the end, uh, we don't get a good picture of the Indians getting what they deserved up here north of the bay. But other places in California, the, the uh, uh, um, Figueroa uh, was able to empower people to get things done that would help the Indians. And uh, this is what I had you read here. So, so let's uh, talk about this real quick. I'll be done here in 10 or 15 minutes, okay? If we, but we need to see the, see this. This is the Figueroa's book the manifesto and I want you to just see how boring it is but to see why it's so important okay uh, it's really hard to understand because he's making these arguments about this he hard guy but okay so um, so he's uh, senior he finds it strange that towns pueblos should be created with the territorial governments has done no more than name them since they have been established for many years under the designation of the missions. But have, but have they, uh, for this reason, ceased to be towns? Certainly not. Look up the definition of the word. You see, this is, this is a politician who is talking about the politics of Pueblos. What's the definition of Pueblo? And then he's, we don't need to get into it, but it's this Arist it goes back to these Aristotelian culture we've been talking about, in which uh, the gathering, the fellowship, the community, uh, is, goes back even to these Indian villages. And so what he's pointing at here is, is that the missions had begun, along with the society uh, uh, over the last decade in Mexican culture, started to create Indian Pueblos, and uh, had done this on a, uh, a variety of ways. There's separate ranches that they could sort of empower the Indians there, or, or they could create a new Pueblo here. Uh, but he's talking about these, these missions have been creating these Pueblos. In similar fashion, he finds it insulting. This is he hard, he's making fun against town councils. Institution of Town Council Strains, it being one of the principal duties of a territorial government, that's me, principal duties of me, the governor, to see that they are established in places that do not have them. And then he cites this constitutional article, right, that uh, it's his job to create Pueblos. And he takes this seriously. That's what makes him a good governor. He is going to come and make good Pueblos for the Indians. This is all about the Indians here. And then when you go over here, here again, more sort of crazy legal language, it, but um, down here. So um, Senior Yehar will permit me to remind him of things that are going on. He says, I defended, this is me, uh, um, Figueroa, I defended with the same laws the right of the neophytes. And who are the neophytes? 
the Indians who had joined the missions, okay? So I defended the same laws, the rights of the neophytes to be made equal and ordinary citizens in enjoyment of their possessions and the preference that should be given to help them so that they may be granted the land and the property that they possess, which had been acquired by their own and their ancestors' labor. And I could not agree either, and I could not agree either that they should be treated as colonists. See, Hehar wants to treat them as colonists, and then they would get less land. No, 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 they're not colonists. These guys are proprietors. This is where he's making this distinction up here, where the Indians, uh, uh, okay, he's talking about the Indians. Some of these Indians are going to succeed. Some will go astray. And the result is always a benefit for society and a step forward for civilization that is not merely a matter of converting them from wards to uh, It is not merely a matter of converting them from wards to proprietors, okay, but of educating them and making them industrious. And if this is not undertaken, they will never emerge from the wretched conditions of slavery. So this is, this is very much the Aristotelian language of taking people out of slavery, making them free peoples, and as proprietors, they are proprietors of the land, which is their ancestral lands. Some will go astray, but this is the way we have to go. Any questions about that? This is good, good stuff, right? I mean, this is, this is the United States of Mexico wanting to the governor wanting to make sure that the Indians get what they deserve because all along this has been Spanish and Mexican laws that the Indians own the land. Okay, and then um, what we talked about then was this guy here. And what's the story of this? You remember that? Who's Panto? He's a chief of what? Yeah, so this is uh, Figueroa, 1833 to 34, was not able to get Vallejo to, to buy into doing what he was supposed to do. But down in the San Luis Rey River Valley, he was able to get three pueblos set up, creating new pueblos for the Indians. Two of them failed, and we'll talk about that. But the third one, San Pascual, lasted as a viable community into the American period, at which time it lost the protection of what? Mexican law, uh, becoming prey for squatters and suffering. Mexican law was protecting them. The success of San Pascual was apparently due to the leadership of a remarkable man, Jose Panto, who was actually apparently not a neophyte mission Indian, but when they set up the Pueblo, they put, they, they actually instituted sort of an old, the old system of, of, of a chief, and uh, he becomes their leader, and as their leader, their captain, uh, he goes, uh, the Pueblo did his best to protect the people and their rights as granted by the Mexican government. But it ultimately fails, okay? But it fails because of the United States of America wouldn't help wouldn't completely recognize the laws of the United States of Mexico. Okay. This is what we're going to actually see some more of in the class later on. But, but uh, this is sort of cool. This is, uh, do you know where San Pascual is? What's there now? The zoo? You know, the, the safari park. That's where San Pascual is. And uh, let me get to this here. Yeah. Uh, this is the uh, San Luis Rey River here. And this is the San Diego River here. And so San Pascual is right back up in here. And the other two pueblos were here and here. Uh, let's talk about Las Flores here real quick. OK. And let's go past that. Las Flores, let's go to this one here. This is the Camp Pendleton um, Marine Base right now in the brown. And down here is Oceanside. Up here is uh, San Onofre, the nuclear plant. San Clemente in Orange County is up there. This part here was a chapel built at Las Flores here. 
1823. And apparently this is, a, this is a, the kind of story that was going on that, that uh, we seem to have, we know more about this one. But it was where Indians had lived for a long time. And when the mission was set up, and the mission is set up back in the, up the river back here, this is way too far to walk to the mission. So the Indians live here. And they set up their own chapel out here, an extension of the, uh, the mission. And the friar would walk out there to do the chapel service. So these, these Indians don't actually go to the mission, but they're under the mission auspices, running a very independent, uh, halfway between a, what's called an estancia, which is a type of ranch, and then an assistencia, which is a type of assistant chapel out here. And then so what happens is the Mexican government wants to make this into a pueblo. And so then these Indians here form themselves as a pueblo. But what happens is that like Vallejo, down in the south, there's uh, Tio Pico and this guy John Forster. And we've read into Forster before, right? Because he's the guy who took the other woman's land, remember? These, these are very land-hungry guys. He becomes the governor, uh, and, uh, and that's why Las Flores do doesn't make it through the Mexican period into the United States of America period. But these are pueblos. This is what I'm trying to, this is the key to the whole story of the high hopes, is we want to take the mission land, get it to the Indians, have them live in Pueblo cultures, town cultures, because that is where human flourishing happens. We're going to make these Indians better off. Right? This is the great plan of the United States of Mexico, as implemented by Figueroa. Any questions about that? OK, just a little bit more here. It gets way more fun. But I'll, uh, we'll skip this. this is, remember, this is the guy at the same time, 32. This is where the missionary takes him all the way to Rome. And he is a Luceno Indian. And uh, he's 10 years old, goes to Rome, writes a book about being. Uh, and that was the sort of missionary ideal, was the, the highest ideal of the missionaries is to you know, have someone become a priest. And Pablo Talk was on that way, but dies in Rome. But the. So another sad story ultimately, but people are trying to do right by the Indians, the missionaries, and also then the, the, um, uh, the government with Figueroa. Now, the, to finish this story off, there's, a, there's one family that is, that is sort of uh, a great model family, and this is a book about them, the father of it all, the Delaguerra family, power and patriarchy in Mexican California. Uh, typical of books like this, Power and Patriarchy, sounds angry. But uh, fundamentally, in a sort of the big Aristotelian picture, no, Power and Patriarchy are not bad. This is like a parentarchy. It's a type of parental responsibility, taking a parental responsibility for California, for Mexican California. And this family under Delaguerra, even though he doesn't seem to be a very happy person, is actually trying to help human flourishing. And it was at his house was the marriage. Remember, that was where the marriage happened. Now, so the fun story gets into, you're going to need, you're going to read his daughter for next class in this book here. Okay, this is Angustias, who appears in Dana's wedding, wedding ceremony. She's also not that happy. But this is uh, her older sister, Teresa, who you're also going to read, uh, Teresa de la Guerra de Hartnell, all right? And this family, the women, the, these son-in-law, the, these group of people get together. This is the son-in-law who uh, gets married 10 years before the marriage that you read about in Dana. Okay? And uh, William Hartnell came to California after being he's born in England. As a teenager, he had gone off to Germany to go to school. So basically the high school was in these gymnasiums. Where, got a real good education in Germany, comes to South America, and when he's 22 years old, he comes to California to start to set up the trade along the coast. And he makes friends with everybody. He's a real affable guy. 
And so uh, he's helping to set up what, that hide and tallow trade, which Dana is doing 10 years later. But he's got a lot going for him, and he falls in love for the teenage daughter of, the, of Delaguerra, and he marries her. But before he marries her, he, California, and this is, I think, a fun story. California sort of redeems him. He had, uh, he had uh, gotten uh, out of Germany to South America and apparently had gotten himself into drinking a lot. He had also been basically partying a lot. And, and then he, he actually, he's, it's hard to understand from his writings, but he seems to have stolen some money from an uncle or something. And, and uh, you know, saying, I'm going to get it back, intending to get it back, but ultimately he feels really bad. So on the coast of California, you know, he's visiting and getting to know all these missions and missionaries. And uh, uh, so uh, there was a friend who was in Ventura, and Hartnell was supposed to meet him, but Hartnell had basically got himself all drunk and, and stopped there when he was like 21 or so. And so this guy here gets him, and they take him to these two missionaries, which is Martinez and Rapol. Martinez, ultimately, he stays for a while up here in San Luis Obispo at the mission with Martinez. And Martinez not only sort of dries him out, but converts him to Catholicism. He, he wants to turn his whole life around. He just, you know, I am, you know, and so from then on, I'm going to be this really good guy, you know, and I'm going to be honest and straight up and all this other sort of stuff. And so he really turns himself around. That's when he then goes back and he marries, marries uh, uh, Teresa, De La Guerra down here in Santa Barbara. And so he becomes this sort of really good guy. And he and his father-in-law and De La Guerra and Figueroa, Governor Figueroa, his father-in-law, who's this wealthy, powerful man, and then him, who's this highly educated guy, start to work together. And the three of them really are having a vision for a better California, a Mexican California that can really work. And um, I just give you this example. It's uh, uh, Hartnell's pretty smart. He's very good with languages, and so he teaches himself Russian so that he can deal with the Russians, you know. Uh, he gets a French dictionary so that he can, with the, that has Russian tied to it, so he can figure out Russian and learns Russian. So he becomes a sort of intermediary with the Russians and stuff. But most important, and this is what we'll end with, is he, Figueroa, and his father-in-law realized they need to build a college. You need a school. You need a college. You need education in California. If we're going to make this thing work, we need to really, there had been little spotty bits of education. The missionaries, of course, had done tutoring. There were people who had landed. There's individual tutoring going on to people in California, but no, no full-on you know, college that would take people for a full education. And so uh, Figueroa, Delaguerra, his father-in-law, empower him to create a, a college, first in Monterey, and then he wants to move it over here north of, northeast of Salinas. And this is the building that gets built as the first college in California. And um, let me, uh, yeah, as in 36, when it's, it's at its height, he's got, Six of his own kids there. He has like 19 kids. Uh, two teenage Delaguerra boys, which would be his nephews, and then plus five other Mexican boys. And notice then six Indians are at his college. See, and the Indians get to go free because uh, there's actually a fund that'll pay for the Indians called the Pious Fund. But the uh, uh, this is look at that. That's a here's this guy, uh, Englishman. Uh, running a school, and the idea is this: is with this school we're going to create um, the foundations of a of a good society. And Hartnell College still exists in a weird way. Uh, it was it it fell apart in '36, but then in the 1960s or 50s, I think it was it was redone and and is still up there. So when you're driving up through Salinas, you can you can see Hartnell College. Uh, my dad used to teach at Hartnell College and uh, taught agriculture there. This is his coat, so I'm wearing his coat here. Hartnell's, Hartnell coat with the Hartnell College. But 
let's tie this up then and, uh, and to be done with it then. So what we've got is a period of Mexican history in California in which there's a sort of notion that, that sort of comes through textbooks that nothing was going on in California. And so the United States of America just came and grabbed it. No, there was a lot going on in California. And the United States of Mexico, uh, through its territorial government, was actually doing quite a bit. And it depended upon good people. It depended upon people who are high-minded. The Governor Figueroa was high-minded. The De La Guerra family, high-minded. The uh, people pulling together who are going to, yes, we don't have the full population yet, but we need to do, we need to create a good society, an educated society. And most importantly, we got to do what? We got to do right by the Indians. We got to protect them. We got to, we can't let them just fall out the bottom of society. You got to take care of them. And so Indian Pueblos is the big plan to get more Pueblos, more people living in Pueblos in general, but especially creating Indian Pueblos. Now, this doesn't all work, of course. And it takes time. Figueroa, dang it, dies. Um, he dies uh, in, after being here two years. And he, he, uh, he dies like uh, several months before that Delaguerre wedding. And so, so uh, it's a real frustrating thing. There's always a sort of theory in California history that, if, oh gosh, if Figueroa had lived. And yeah, if, if Figueroa had lived, if the college that Hartnell and, and Delaguerre had set up continued and didn't falter, um, if, 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 you know. Uh, some, and our next class is going to be how, you know, the, in the 40s, in the early 40s, California really is, Mexican California is struggling. But it's not like we weren't doing anything over here in California. And so there's two great experiments going on in North America in the early 1830s. And it's the United States of Mexico. It's the United States of Ch America. And the one in California is, is viable and good. And that we who live here should actually be proud of, of our Mexican heritage, right? You're smiling at me. Say, I am a Mexican-American. I am a Mexican-American. <laughs> I, I am a Mexican-American. Viva la Republic. All right. OK, so um, come back on Thursday, and uh, we'll discuss the, uh, the, the stuff there. And uh, otherwise, we're done, all right? OK, good. Good, good, good. Clapping. <laughs> you can watch Lectures in History every weekend on American History TV. We take you inside college classrooms to learn about topics ranging from the American Revolution to 9-11. That's Saturday at 8 p.m. at midnight Eastern on C-SPAN 3.